The Athletic. Hello, welcome to the All Senior Chapman Pod on The Athletic. Uh, David and I are joined as usual by The Athletic's Adam Crafton and also Rob Tanner with us uh, for this pod. Obviously, after the weekend that Leicester had winning the FA Cup, there's a big read on The Athletic from Rob that shares the inside story on how they did that. It's not even the culmination of a long journey. It's just part of this journey, isn't it? I mean, you, Rob, have been writing about Leicester for over a decade. It's been an incredible journey. I mean, I started covering the club in 2009 and uh, shortly after the owners came in, took over the club at the time, um, Milan Mandaric was the uh, was the chairman and it was a very different club. It was down to its bare bones. Everything was being cut back. It was being modelled so it looked good on a balance sheet for somebody to come here and take over. And I remember the press conference when they came in and we didn't know much about them at all. And there'd been so many examples around of how um, overseas ownerships had really gone terribly wrong most openly at Cardiff when you know the bluebirds were turned red and there were so many other examples and we did fear this was going to happen at Leicester but um, straight away they sort of sort of cherished the heritage of the club even though it's a club that hasn't won a lot at all for its history it's real history really is bouncing between the top two divisions but they seem to embrace it still I mean the, the club it's the stadium inside the stadium became a, a museum pretty much uh, overnight with all memorabilia of, of teams down the years and and they embraced the fans as well and they tried to get the fans on board. And, and then they started to talk about their vision and talk about getting in the Premier League and then in five years getting into Europe and Champions League. And people were going, well, really? That, that, that seems very ambitious for a club like Leicester City to do that. But it's just panned out in the most unbelievable way. And I know that the um, the project for the Vardy movie is gathering pace over in in Los Angeles, but they could make a movie about Leicester City's rise over, over the last decade. It's been remarkable what's happened it, it is like somebody's written a script for a football club if you were to ask them what was the most important thing that they did to start turning the football club around would there be one thing or it, or, or is it a multitude of things Oh, there's a multitude of things. I mean, the, the investment had to be there. They invested in the training ground, they invested in the stadium. They made it a pleasure for, for fans to go to the stadium again. They wrote off £103 million worth of loans into equity, uh, which really sent a message to everybody how serious they were. But I think the biggest, the most important thing they did was bringing Nigel Pearson back. Because initially, they went down the road of Sven and getting a big manager, a big reputation manager in, spending a lot of money on players, letting him build. And, and Sven had a philosophy of two world-class players for every position. Well, world-class players want to play. So it didn't really create the harmony in the in the dressing room. And But getting Nigel back, that was when it really started to accelerate. And, um, you know, he played an important part in that in that process, getting them into the Premier League and then keeping them in there in the, in the, um, the great escape season. Rob, listening to you, there's all these different elements that need to come together from the ownership, which seems to be probably the most important cog because everything filters down from there. But then you've got Nigel Pearson, you've got the playing staff, you've got on and off field issues, you've got fans, you've got finances. Where does recruitment come into it? Because Leicester seem to be heralded as this absolute bastion, really, for good work in the transfer market. Absolutely. And they've had to learn the lessons and that. As I said, when Sven came in, the recruitment was all over the place. They were picking up players towards the end of their careers. 
big earners, big wage earners. That didn't work out. Then Nigel tried to bring in players that fit a system. They had to have the character to fit in and blend with everybody else. And, and that certainly worked. And then when you look at the title winning season, the players they, they brought in then, I mean, the, the, the talent they brought for just minimal money. Um, but they didn't. They did slip away from that after the title season that summer. They were. They looked around and thought, "Well, we're champions of England now. We've got to go out and spend some money." And mm-hmm. they brought in Slamani and Musa, and and that was a disaster. So they went back to the traditional um, identity in the recruitment market, and it still works to this day. They know which market they're working in. They know they can't challenge the size that they want to challenge on the pitch in terms of the transfer market. They're shopping in a very different market. Um, that's why you're getting the likes of Fafana coming in. Tielemans, um, they, these lads, Castagna. Maybe Sumare now as well. Uh, yes, and soon to be as well. It's another interesting one. Again, it's in that 20 to 30 million pound bracket. Um, so, yeah, that, that's been, that's really worked for them. But all these players um, have come in. I've got a lot, most of them, the vast majority of them are young. They've got the ability to not only develop as players, but also develop in terms of their, their value to the club as well. So uh, whenever they get a player in, they sell them on, they get a vastly increased figure to what they paid for them. It really has worked well and it's been the secret of their success in many ways. Let's focus on the day itself. Your long read is fascinating on The Athletic. A lot of people worked on that, Mark. A lot of people worked on that. Yeah, including Adam, who we'll bring in in a minute. But it did strike me that some of the touches in there, such as the postcards with family messages from Brendan Rodgers and, and so on and so forth, now that they've won brilliant management I wonder if they hadn't they're they're the kind of things that could go either way aren't they on some of these you know the the debriefs why it's gone wrong in the past the emotions of family members saying how much it means to them you know if if they go and win the FA Cup there are all sorts of things there that could go either way absolutely but I think as well as I talked about the players have learned uh, the club has learned so has Brendan Brendan Rodgers in his career has, has, has learned. I mean, he, he, we all know about the envelopes at Liverpool and things like that and some of the, the motivational jargon that he, um, he, he used to bring out. I mean, he still does speak incredibly well. But what he is, he's a, he's a very inspiring character. He's very, um, and I'm going to speak to him shortly, and he's, um, he does make you feel quite like confident in what he's doing. And I'd imagine he, did, he does that as well with the players. And I think the postcard was a lovely touch, really, because it just sent out the message that, yes, you're playing for the badge, you're playing for the club, you're playing for those owners, you're playing for me, you're playing for yourselves. But look, it's your family. You're playing for your family as well. And that there is definitely a family feel around Leicester City in every way. I mean, I'm not from Leicester. In fact, the first time I ever went to Leicester was to watch a press viewing of the Phantom Menace in the 90s. Yeah, I had no association with the city whatsoever. But over the last 11, 12 years, I, I've been taken in by them and I've sort of bought into that family ethos around the club I mean sadly we lost Sheila the kit lady uh, last year she died Dilly was her, her, num- her number two her, her partner she retired but they were at the club for decades and there's still people at the club that have been there for decades seen all the bad times they've seen the administration years when people were leaving the building with cardboard boxes all their stuff inside they've experienced all that um, so now that's why I mean I'm supposed to be a professional and impartial no. and all no, on the press not. bench. I had a, lump, I had a lump in my throat when I saw them all on the pitch there because I know what it means to them and what they've been on this journey. So, yeah, it's been um, an amazing ride. It's absolutely been an amazing ride. Adam, you sent a really nice tweet out about uh, about Leicester, how they're stylish, sustainable, likeable. And, and what always strikes me, and Rob has touched on it there with the family nature, is you go to a Leicester game and somehow... 
they don't, they're not surrounded by the cynicism of, of modern football and modern football fans. So the clapperboards, for example, that it seem, seem to work perfectly at Leicester. And I go to a game at Leicester and they never bother me and it all seems to come together. I go to a different stadium and they put clapperboards out and I think, geez, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Just let the fans clap. And yet it works at Leicester. It's very difficult to put your finger on why they have this special environment. It is. It's like idiosyncrasies that when things are going well, you buy into and when they're not going well, they really piss you off, don't they? I mean, if the Glazers were to introduce clappers at Old Trafford next week, (laughs) could you imagine? Um, So I I think you're right. I remember being there the season after um, they won the Premier League when I think, was it Porto, Rob, that they played in the, was it the the final, the round of 16? They played Seville uh, and it, yeah, that night was an incredible night. The absolute. It was that night. Even though the whole thing is not innocent, you know, it's not innocent. They're very successful, rich Thai investors. Yeah. But it, it feels innocent. It feels almost quite as if they're chanting it a little bit. And they're not. When you look into all the work they've done, as Rob says, on the stadium, the training ground, the recruit, the recruitment is unbelievable. You know, to sell Maguire, Chilwell, Kante, Mares. And almost each time they sell, it's as if they come out of it a better team. And to constantly get it right, that is hard. And it's going to be very hard to sustain. And you need the right coach as you go along with that. And they've done that with, with Rodgers. And it, it wasn't quite as good with Puel, was it, for, for a while? But um, I, I just found Saturday the most invigorating day of football, I would say, for well, certainly since the start of the pandemic by a mile. And, you know, I'm not a Leicester, I'm not a Leicester fan and I hope Chelsea fans listening to this, if, if they're listening, can forgive me. But in the second half, I just found myself carried on this almost tidal wave of emotion with Leicester when, you know, Schmeichel makes that save. and it, Well, both of them, but the second one in particular. And it was just unbelievable. The goal was unbelievable. And it felt like one of those finals. I think certainly for my generation, we hear about these finals, you know, from the, the 70s and 80s that people from that generation talk about in such nostalgic terms. And it's not always been possible to get it as you go along. And I think this final, like Wigan against Man City in 2013, it's the sort of final I will tell my kids and grandkids about. It it was that special. And, you know, the interviews after the game were incredible. The celebrations were incredible. I'm just sort of fangirling here. But but honestly, it was, I just found it the most exhilarating day of football for, for such a long time. On Mark's point about the clappers, I was thinking, is it intangible? I don't understand why we feel that's okay for Leicester, that sort of thing. But maybe it's not intangible. Maybe it's because something inside us recognises that they've done things the right way from top to bottom. Okay, they've not got everything perfectly right. And as Adam said, it's not all romantic and innocent if you look at sort of the wealth of the ownership. But are we looking at a club here that we all want our clubs to be? that we all want them to take inspiration from, look how they're run and almost replicate it, simplify things, make right decisions, sharpen their recruitment operation, connect with the fans and community. Adam, you posted a really interesting tweet to that effect, sort of suggesting that this is everything that those clubs trying to plot the Super League hate because it's everything that they're not. It is, and it's also, you know, I remember after the the year Leicester won the league, I think that was the, it was like the famous breakfast in New York between some of the big six executives 
just on the back of Leicester winning the league. So I think it was this realisation that this big six might become seven and then it might become eight and it might become nine. And oh my God, just because we've been successful for the last 10 years, it doesn't mean we're going to be locked in forever. And I think there was a lot of that. And this, you know, even last season and this season, Leicester don't really have a right when you look at, you know, the net spend over the last couple of years to, to be where they are. And, and even on Saturday, I mean, you know, they did that without... You know, Johnny Evans being on the pitch for most of the match without Harvey Barnes, without Jake, with James Madison on the bench from the start of the game. James Justin was out. What they did on Saturday was remarkable in the circumstances. I think what I would say is that recruitment is a little bit easier if you are just below the most elite, you know, the, the most elite clubs, because the expectation when a signing comes in is probably that little bit less. You know, a player like Yuri Tielmans, if he'd have gone into... Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United at the age he did after a difficult spell at Monaco. He may have been in and out of the team. He may not have been given the run that he needed to get. He'd have been Donny van der Beek, wouldn't he? Quite possibly. Whereas, whereas Leicester's whole model is, and I think Fafana as well, you know, people have said, why didn't, you know, why didn't Arsenal see Fafana? Why didn't, why didn't Liverpool see Fafana um, last summer? Well, actually, maybe, maybe players need that bridge move between you know, between what is, uh, you know, the French first division and and the very top of the Champions League. And Leicester have sort of locked themselves in as that bridging club fantastically well. And, you know, they can now continue to almost flip players and it not really be that stressful or much of an issue for them. Are they, what are their plans, Rob, to be more than just a bridging club? And you're sort of where he's saying this because they won the Premier League and they've won yeah. the FA Cup over the over the last five years. So they have trophies. Um, and yet we're still sort of suggesting they're not quite in that mm. big six level when they've actually been more successful than some of the other big six clubs in the big six. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I don't think Leicester, Leicester Club would, uh, let's see, would uh, like to be known as a bridging club they want to be seen as a big club and they want a big club mentality yeah. and that's why the celebrations on Saturday night were very reserved very low key down back down at uh, the training ground the players went home early because the the, the uh, mantra from Brendan is get back on it now you we've got a massive game on Tuesday if you're going to be that club that could consistently challenge for silverware and Champions League qualification uh, if you want to continue to be a winners you've got to quickly park it and get on and move on. And that's what the big clubs do. So they're trying to foster that big club mentality. They know where they are in terms of the finances. They, they can't compete at the moment. They haven't got the global brand. Um, they haven't got that, that huge reach that brings in so much revenue to the other clubs. Um, they have to cut their cloth as well. I mean, they recorded a £67 million loss in the last financial uh, report. And so and they, they still are very much aware that they might have to sell one player. I mean, they sell one every summer one key player every summer. Uh, it started with N'Golo Kante. They didn't really see that one coming because it was a release clause. Then Danny Drinkwater, and then Mares, then Maguire, then Chilwell. They recruited all those players for, for a combined total of 25 million. They sold them for 250 million. But they, what they've tried to do since Kante is always have somebody coming in uh, as the next one, the next one to fill that gap. Um, and they certainly did that with, when they got Maguire in, they got Suyunsu. Uh, when when he because they knew he was going that we could see that coming, uh, and it was the same with the Chilwell deal. When Chilwell went, Castagna was identified, and Fafana was identified as well to come in. Uh, so they got two for the price of one there in that deal, and they will continue to work in that way. 
Now, uh, the Samar deal makes me wonder who the next one's going to be. I mean, Tielemans is in contract talks. He's got two years left on his deal. Everybody's going to be wanting Tielemans now. But but he's going to come at a huge price. I mean, that's the thing. Leicester won't be um, bullied uh, in terms of their players. They've shown previously that uh, they're willing to stand their ground and get the, the, the value that they consider is the right price for that player. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A lot of those players you mentioned also left a probably more fluid time for the club under different managers, weren't there? There, were, there was nobody who you felt had maybe stability as a manager at Leicester. They were, they were going through two or three after the Ranieri title. It feels a lot more stable now under Rodgers. So what happens if none of these players want to go? <laughs> I mean that you know that, but 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 there might be there might be an yeah. element of that. They're successful. They're a family club. Everybody's happy. They're playing great football. Rodgers is getting the best out of them. They're winning trophies. And if they get Champions League football as well, they've got that to look forward to next season, which is the pinnacle of what most players want in their in their careers to play at the highest level for their clubs. And if Leicester can offer them, I'm less. I'm not saying Leicester want to sell. <laughs> they want to keep them. I mean, in all those situations, they wanted yeah. to keep Mares because Mares is a wonderful footballer. He's the most talented player I've seen pull on a Leicester shirt. Um, they but they know what the reality of their situation is. I think they will be prepared they will have targets identified and they will even be talking to people as we speak they've been doing recruitment meetings so the, the, it continues it continues it never stops yeah. and because as soon as you stop standstill it's hard to get it going again so they'll just keep rolling the way they are they've got their model they're happy with the model they're happy with their identity somebody asked me once do they want to be a big six club well probably not not they, because they've got a connection with their fan base. They've got a connection around the club that that, that is really important to them. And you don't see it, at, at, you know, for, the fans are disenfranchised everywhere around, around the top level of English football at the moment, but they're not unless they're. And uh, I think they f- feel that is really, really important. That's why they're going to expand the stadium, get 10,000 more in and things like that. But the, going back to the Clappers, I remember when the Clappers came in, it was in the Great Escape season and it was just before... They went on that fantastic run and they started to spend something like 16 grand a game to put the clappers on every seat. And there was some fans were going, hang on, we're Leicester City, you know, that the hardcore singers, yeah, we're, we're not going to stand there. And I'd seen it at other cl- clubs where, I mean, Birmingham City tried clappers and some of them fans turned them into paper aeroplanes and chucking them on the pitch. So <laughs> it was a bit of a risk in that sense. It could have could have been used as a weapon. But um, everybody got it because, as I said, it's a family field. There's a lot of generations go to, the, to Leicester games. And they really got into that and it created an atmosphere. And then when obviously on the pitch, the players started winning and everything started to turn. So they thought, well, we're not changing this. We'll carry on with the clappers. And they, they still existed yeah. all the way through. On the, the window this summer, I mean, I, I do think, when, when do they play Chelsea? This Tuesday. Week? Tuesday, Wednesday? Tuesday, so, yeah. Ch- ch- yeah, Tuesday. I mean, that is, I, I think that may define what happens in the summer. I think probably the value for them in terms of where they sell would come and Didi or TL men's probably. And I think 
you know, the impression I have from people around Tiamans at the moment is he's very grateful. He's very happy he scored a winning goal on Saturday. He wants to be playing in the, you know, he wants to be playing in the Champions League. And that doesn't mean he's, you know, rushing to get out of the club, but they have a lot of interest now. And why wouldn't they? I mean, he was unbelievable on Saturday. He's had huge performances in games. Again, I think you know, Man City away, the game they hit five at Man City was fantastic. He dominated Manchester United in the FA Cup. He just looks like he is ready-made for anyone that wants him. So I think that that will be both the challenge for them and also possibly the reward because, you know, what on earth is his price tag now? After a goal like that at Wembley in the game that everyone was watching around, around Europe, and I'm sure he'll only enhance that value at the Euros as well. So, you know, the real big value for Leicester, I imagine, would be Tielmans and Didi. I think for Fana it's too soon for him probably anyway to move on. And I know Leicester fans will probably just want me to shut up talking about who they're going to sell <laughs> um, because, because it's, it's totally unfair. But I think it's meant they to be it, a nice, warm, fuzzy know, celebratory podcast. But if they were to beat Chelsea, yeah, then, you know, they can dig in and, and that value goes up for all those players as well. See, I think that Champions League qualification may be the point at which Somebody like Sumare, who the deal appears to be in place for, signs on the dotted line, which hasn't happened just yet, because perhaps they're waiting just to see that final step. As Adam says, it may affect existing players too. On the flip side, one thing we haven't mentioned is the potential sort of succession of somebody like Jamie Vardy, Rob. He's been integral to everything Leicester have done on this rise, but he's coming towards the later part of his career. And of course, we've seen the brilliant form of Iheanacho this season and Leicester heavily linked with players like Odson Edwards. So that succession planning is key as well as the sort of normal ins and outs. Oh, absolutely. And they've been working on that. They've been looking at that one for a while, a very long while, because there was a spell around Christmas when I think only Brendan Rodgers believed that Kalechi Iheanacho was going to come good. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'd been at the, 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 the club for a number of seasons and hadn't really convinced. We'd seen uh, spits and spots of him. But the problem for him was that Vardy, when he was fit, he played and Rogers only played with one striker at the time. And it was sort of circumstances that dictated those two coming together because he had so many injuries to Madison and Barnes and, and Perez at the time that the only attacking options he had were those two together. So he had to play them together. And they just clicked. It took the pressure off Iheanacho having Vardy there. It took the pressure off Vardy, uh, the goal scorer, the reliance on him when Iheanacho started finding the net. But they will still be looking for another striker coming up. I mean, Jamie's 34. He's got another year or two, uh, they think. But obviously, I think his role will be reduced. He won't be able to play the amount of games um, and he's been playing with this groin issue for such a long time now. And it is, it has affected him. It has taken that little bit of zip from his play away. He's changed his game to be more of a link player and, and a provider as much as anything these days. But yeah, they want somebody that's going to run in behind, somebody who's paced, somebody. I mean, there's no other Jamie Vardy. They can't find another Jamie Vardy, but it's got to be somebody with those sort of traits that can can get in behind, stretch the play, uh, create the space for, for, for the likes of Madison. Uh, those little pockets of space in front of the back four. That's the sort of striker they're looking for. Rob, I'll just give a little flavour of the piece that, that we've done on The Athletic because I think it shows but you know, Vardy's value, not, not only on the pitch, but also to the, to the whole collective at Leicester. And as when I was talking to uh, Yuri Tielman's advisor, Peter Smeets, yesterday, and he was saying at the end of the, the period where Tielman's actually first came in on loan for six months, and he, he, Peter was saying he was on the pitch with... 
Tielmans and Tielmans' daughter after the game when they were doing the lap of honour. And Jamie Vardy came up to them with Rebecca, um, who was at the game at, at Wembley on Saturday wearing her chat shit, get banged jumper for, for, uh, for the match. And Jamie and Rebecca were talking to, to Yuri and to his agent saying, you know, we, you know, you've been so important to us. We really want you here. Kasper Schmeichel came over as well. And then Jamie showed Tielman's agent a video that he'd been sending to Tielman's with Jamie Vardy's two dogs on the video, basically threatening in a very jovial way that these two dogs will be coming after you if you don't sign up uh, permanently and join us. But you know, I, I think that just shows the, the impact that Vardy has on the whole dressing room and the personality that he has. He's probably the biggest character in English football over the past six or seven years. And you know, I always think it's a bit of a shame that we didn't really get in with England as much as as much as we could have done as well. But, you know, again, his story, the way that it sort of finalised with the FA Cup as well on, on Saturday was incredible. And so, yeah, how they... Re- you can't replace him. They'll have to go in a different direction. You talk about key moments in Leicester City's history. How big was that moment when Arsenal triggered his release clause? And I was with him in LA at the time when he finally revealed his decision. And he came closer than people think to going to Arsenal. If, that, if he had gone to Arsenal... I think the, the floodgates might have opened. But Jamie Vardy's staying uh, and the club sort of from then on never really put uh, release clauses in the contracts after that because that, that was close. Uh, if um, he had gone, then it could have been a totally different story. Yeah, and that took the words out of my mouth. I was going to mention that to Adam in the sense that you say character, but also there's a lot of simplicity in what they do on and off the pitch that I don't see at those so-called bigger clubs all the time, they seem to overcomplicate things in their recruitment, in their executive decisions. We've seen clubs and and Rob mentions Arsenal there hiring and firing executives, putting plans in place, ripping them up, um, veering from one structure to the next. Why don't they take a leaf out of Leicester's book? Is it a risk? Are Leicester getting to a point now where they're going to become so big that they enter this kind of hornet's nest where money becomes bigger, egos, influences around the place. And I do remember back to that February, I think it was Valentine's Day, uh, when Leicester were going for the league title, Arsenal beat them at the Emirates Stadium and and celebrated like they had won the title. And Leicester used that as motivation to go on and win the title themselves. Is, is there a mentality shift that's needed within these clubs? I mean, just watching them on Saturday, it's a very simplistic thing to say, Adam, but they, they seem to want it more. And maybe that's the underdog thing, etc. But I sense it's both a character and a structural thing on and off the pitch. Yeah, and I think there is still this sense that they don't really belong there, even though they, even though all the evidence of the past four or five years in terms of league finishes and cup runs and all that sort of stuff suggests they do. I think when it comes to these occasions, there is still that sense of a, a bit of an underdog spirit and a, and a real sense of creating history. This was, you know, the first time that a lot of them would have won the FA Cup. Um, I'm not sure if they had any FA Cup, apart from Johnny Evans, maybe, as a, as a trophy winner, in the uh, apart from the Premier League, of course. But in terms of domestic cups, so there was a real sense of history, not just for the club, but also for the players. And I think also for, you know, for the players from, quite for a lot of the foreign players, families weren't able to be there. So I think there was, a, you know, what we said at the start about those postcards, I think that was a really nice touch because there was a lot of families that, that wouldn't have been able to be there or kids who wouldn't have been able to be there. And to just have that thing in the dressing room to know they were there with them, I think was 
was a nice thing. In terms of the mentality of other clubs, I think they're, they're all very different places, aren't they? I mean, you know, Arsenal and Man City are in hugely contrasting places. But yeah, I think the simplicity is, you know, it's a bit like the way Jamie Vardy plays. You know, he does the simple things brilliantly. And if you do the simple things brilliantly, then the, the more complicated things tend to fall into place. Yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's as simple as... It, they make it look very simple, you know, the work, you know, people around Europe were aware of Wesley Fofana. They weren't going out and spending 38 million on him um, in the way that in the way that Leicester did. I think the biggest competition was from West Ham last last summer for, for, for him. So, you know, you know, I think they've they've taken risks on young talent and invested big in those players, but they've given the space, the culture, the environment to grow. And that's why they are more they are more successful. I think the other thing is there is less pressure and expectation. Mm-hmm. That's that's the other factor. When, both when a player arrives and also on a head coach when he comes in, it's all about evolution rather than how quickly we win. Let's deal with the coach. I, I just want to do one on coach and one on captain from the weekend, Rob. How big, how important do you think that trophy win was for Brendan Rodgers? I know, he, I know he won everything in Scotland, but bearing in mind what happened in at Liverpool... Bearing in mind how Leicester dropped out at the end last season, bearing in mind they're under pressure a little bit in that race to the top four this season, how big for him, and you know him, was winning the cup? It was absolutely huge for him to get a piece of silverware. That was the target when he came in. That's why they went for him. That's why they've paid a lot of money for him to come in with his staff as well. I mean, I think Claude Powell started the ball rolling in some ways by bringing a lot of the youth through but they they got to the point where they think well, we need a top top manager now to take us to the next level and they put the bet the bank on on Brendan so there was a lot of pressure when he come in and obviously he is tainted in some way in, by certain elements of the media about what's happened in the past at Liverpool I mean that Liverpool team was nowhere near ready to win the Premier League it, it did a miracle to get them there uh, you know it was only the, the final stage that they slipped up and people talk about last season as a as a failure uh, because they were in the top and then dropped out on the last day of the season. But this is, as we've just been saying, this is Leicester City that were challenging for Champions League all season. And they had a great point. To but a lot of those youngsters had never experienced anything like that before. There was not a lot of experience in that squad. You've got a, a little bit of Johnny Evans, Casper Sparkle, Jamie Vardy, but the rest of them are so young and they're just learning and developing. So they weren't ready, but now they are. Now they've stepped up and they've got a piece of silverware and that must be so rewarding for, for Brendan as well. Um, I mean, it won't stop people going on about his teeth and his portraits and, <laughs> and all the other stuff. But he's a winner now. He's a winner. He's got a, show, he's got a piece of silverware. But he won't be uh, happy to, to rest in his laurels on that. He wants to get in the Champions League. He wants to take him as far as he can. He wants to see Leicester City uh, consistently competing for silverware over a, a number of years. And when that challenge, he no longer sees that challenge, he'll move on. That's a reality. He'll move on, but he'll back himself to get a, a bigger job. But at the moment, there's no need for him to move no. on because the challenge is still there. Uh, a well-run club that provide him with players that have a great youth system. Why as a head coach, if you are still being challenged and have the right system around you, would you look... And, and also, you're being paid a shed load of money, as you pointed out. Why would you look anywhere else at the moment? Exactly. He's got a challenge there now. He's got what he wants. You know, I mean, Celtic, people said, well, why did he walk out on a treble treble? Well, because he'd already won it. Mm. it won everything up there. And there was no more challenge. And then he saw Leicester, he saw the ownership and the backing he was going to get and the potential and the, a squad full of young players that he could work with and mould, which he loves to do. That's that's his that's his key uh, key attribute. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I can't see him moving 
anytime soon. But I, th- I think the day will come when a big job comes in. I think he'd love the Barcelona job. I think that he'd see that as the ultimate one. Yeah, I hadn't factored in Barcelona at this stage. Although Leicester are much better run than Barcelona at the moment. So, do you, yeah, <laughs> do you know? much better run than a lot of big clubs. But th- yeah. go back to what we were saying about identity. Leicester have got their identity. They, they, uh, clubs like Arsenal can't replicate that. It, it's it, you know, they, it's just unique. I mean, a, a classic example: uh, when Mares was signed by a City, and they they, they pay four hundred fifty thousand pounds for him. Arsenal also looked at him, and there was a quote that came out not long after when Mares was starting to take Leicester by storm, and and Wenger said, "Yeah, we were confirmed they were in for him. We were looking at him, but we thought." We're Arsenal. We can't pay four hundred fifty thousand pounds for a player. Can you imagine the reaction of our fan base if we spent four hundred fifty thousand pounds on a player? Different environment, different identity, and sort of linked to that. Then uh, on the on the captain in in Kasper Schmeichel and Dion Dublin did a brilliant interview with him on on, on Five Live uh, on that, Saturday, yeah. and it was you know Kasper talking about growing up in the Schmeichel uh, uh, household and you know the. <laughs> You know, uh, United players coming round and taking shots at him and Dion suggesting that Roy Keane maybe two-footed him and all of, all of this kind of stuff, right? Given his character, given how he has developed, given his skill, and given also that a lot of clubs have signed some absolute dross in goal over many years, have they had a lot of interest in Kasper Schmeichel? You know, when it's one player a year that's being sold, have they had to fend off interest in Kasper Schmeichel? Because he is he is a complete uh, professional who is at the top of his game. I find it astonishing that other clubs haven't looked. There's been inquiries in the past, uh, and there's certainly been speculation around Manchester United for obvious reasons. But no, you're in, that's an interesting point, though, isn't it? That every summer, we, yeah, we get used to like Madison being linked here, there and everywhere and uh, other players, but... But not Casper so much. Occasionally it, it, it crops up, but nothing nothing that really catches your attention and think, oh, there, there's a problem here. But that again, they are still recruiting goalkeepers and developing goalkeepers. They've got a young lad from uh, the United States uh, now who's just gone into the, the national team, mainly because he was European-based. And so they're developing some good young goalkeepers behind Casper. But I think Casper will still be in goal for Leicester for several years to come. And a final one, uh, recording this on the Monday ahead of the Tuesday game, with Chelsea. Is there more pressure on Leicester now? Less pressure on Leicester now? Is the pressure all on Chelsea? Pressure on both of them. Pressure on both. What a huge game. It's absolutely enormous. Both of them got pressure. Obviously, Leicester have got you know the reminder of what happened last season and the circumstances behind Liverpool's victory has put a little bit more pressure on. Obviously, they've had the they know that Chelsea will be coming for them on Tuesday after beating them twice this season now at the KP and which when they were a very different side, by the way, under Lampard and then at Wembley as well. But there'll be pressure on both. They'll feel, they will feel the breath of Liverpool on their necks. Uh, Rob, thank you. We better let you crack on because the press conference is in 15 minutes and the games keep coming. Thanks for your insight, Rob. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. See you later. Cheers, Cheers Rob. So whereas it's all positivity and happiness as far as Leicester are concerned, there might be a a few worried Chelsea fans around now, Adam. You know, Liverpool, as as Rob said there, breathing down their necks. Defeat in that FA Cup final. Maybe some nerves now about the Champions League final. Losing at home to Arsenal. It's all just a a little bit shakier. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I mean, as Brendan Rodgers knows, it only takes sort of one dodgy back pass for seasons to to unravel a little bit. And that's uh, what Chelsea are finding. You know, just one stray pass has left them from being, you know, on the brink of two finals, top four, to all of a sudden, wow, what if they lose both finals and miss out on the top four? Have they got a break clause? No, but but so so it becomes really interesting, you know, tomorrow night. And I half wonder if they take a point against Leicester and, and you know, think maybe Tottenham will do them a favour on the last day of the season when Leicester plays Spurs. But yeah, big pressure, huge pressure on Chelsea because, you know, I, I think if you were to ask the Chelsea hierarchy what's more important, is it top four or winning the FA Cup? They would say Champions League football. And I know there's another way if they were to beat Man City, then you you do it in the most dramatic way with a trophy and you get in. But but no, big pressure on Tuchel. And I think we're about to see you know, a different side of him. We've seen him in very good times. Now it's, can he have an influence when things have started to go against his team a little bit? Yeah, he came in at a really difficult point and I don't think there's any doubt that he's a top coach that can build a project and got some really interesting ideas, methods, and I think he's proven himself um, over the years. However, let's not get away from the fact, Adam, that Chelsea judge their managers on trophies. And Frank Lampard felt the brunt of that. And Thomas Tuchel will as well, if it doesn't go right when it matters most, in the most brutal way compared to pretty much any other club. Now, the chances are still there and there's talk of a new contract, but Chelsea won't take kindly Roman Abramovich, their hierarchy, Marina Granovskaya, to let's call it what it is in their mind, failure. Yeah, and it's nuts. I mean, it's just totally nuts. I mean, this conversation is nuts. I, was, I mean, you know, a week ago we were saying, how, how has he turned them around? In 10 days, we might be hailing him as, you know, a Champions League winner in the top four, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, you're right, but this is totally nuts. Uh, to, to even be sort of really criticising it, you know, the, the saves by Schmeichel on Saturday, I didn't think they did. Chelsea. I didn't think yeah. Chelsea did that much wrong, really, on Saturday. I do think they've got a problem up front, particularly, you know, high-pressure moments in big games. They aren't scoring enough goals. They are putting a lot of faith at the moment in Timo Werner, who I love as a player, but I do not want him with the one chance to put me in the top four or win the Champions League at the moment because he's just not falling for him. So very interesting to see what Tuchel does with that forward line. They've got a lot of talented players in the number 10 position. But after two games without a goal, you go into games where, where you know you need goals, and we we know they're okay defensively, but they need more from that attacking uh, from the attacking point of view. At least give him a transfer market. <laughs> Uh, let's switch to his former team, Paris Saint-Germain, and their title race with Lille. It's going to go down to the final game of the season. You've been talking, actually, to one of the, the driving forces of this Lille title challenge, David. Yes, yeah, Sven Botman, who sort of shot to prominence, not for his activity on the pitch, but for rumours around him. Only six months after joining Lille from Ajax, where he hadn't even played a senior game, he'd been on loan at Heronvane. Uh, he'd come through the Ajax youth system and been sold to Lille. Lewis Campos, the sporting director there, pulling another rabbit out of the hat, seemingly, for around €8 million. Euros. And he's been superb, a rock, alongside the far more experienced and older Jose Font in central defence. And then all of a sudden, it was Liverpool are in talks to sign 
Sven Botman. Now, I don't think, to my knowledge, that that was accurate. But the mere fact that we were hearing him linked with the likes of Liverpool, there have also been suggestions more recently around Manchester United, Manchester City, Tottenham, others in Europe, indicates that he's very highly thought of. He's got an amazing stature, not too dissimilar to Virgil van Dijk in sort of height and physique. We talked in a, a wonderful interview from his uh, city centre apartment over Zoom, uh, in which he spoke so eloquently, very thoughtful about his game, his style of play, uh, his strengths, but very detailed about his weaknesses and areas in which he needs to improve. Nothing sensational. It wasn't an attempt to facilitate a transfer. He's under contract until 2025. He's really happy at Lille. Uh, he's working under Christophe Galtier and I think his career is only going in one direction despite this bizarre omission from the Netherlands squad, the Holland Euro 2020 squad that's depleted by the loss of Virgil van Dijk um, as he continues his rehabilitation from that knee injury. And some of the centre-backs that have been picked, you could look at them and say they've not nearly had as good seasons as Sven Botman. Now, he's got a great career ahead of him. He'll go to many major tournaments. That, I do think, has been quite contentious in Holland. But yeah, we had a chance to sit down with him and let's listen to a bit of what he says, talking about his inspirations and much more besides. Do you have any people that you modelled your own game on from uh, watching them on television, from playing alongside them? Who are your role models? Um, no, I looked a lot of, uh, at uh, Sergio Ramos. Uh, I like his uh, attitude. His, his, when he comes on the field, he's like, uh, I'm the boss. <laughs> Everybody has to listen to me. And I think also some uh, attackers are a little bit, uh, not, not afraid, but a little bit, uh, yeah, holding back. Maybe like uh, it's because of his, his, his attitude, his uh, confidence. And about Winston Borgardi, he's like the, the killing, the killing attitude. Um, <laughs> like nobody's gonna, gonna dribble besides me. Uh, this mental, this mental, I really learned a lot from him. And I am very amazed by Virgil van Dijk um, because of his body. It's like the same of me and he's really fast. Um, so, yeah, I like uh, to see how, how, he, how he's working with his body and how he, he play against uh, small, small strikers like Aguero uh, to manage this. Uh, you can read David's interview uh, with Sven Botman uh, on The Athletic, and it's also available on our YouTube channel as well. Um, the title does go down to the last day of the season after Lille could only draw last night and Paris Saint-Germain won. So there's a point between them going into the final day. I just wonder, Adam, from the PSG hierarchy how much pressure there is on Pochettino. Clearly they'd like to win it. I don't think it's, you know, do or die or anything like that at this stage. I think they've got a decent chance because I think Lille go to Angers and Angers. Um, yeah. uh, PSG go to Brestois. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's firmly in the balance. P you know, PSG have a huge amount of experience in these moments. Pochettino does not. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he copes with that. And, yeah, I think there is pressure. Yeah, I think there's almost more pressure on Lille in some ways because they've been on the top for quite a few weeks now. It feels more significant. It'd be a huge moment for French football, I think, you know, for someone other than PSG to win that title and, you know, to give it at least, you know, an appearance of real competition again. And it's been a fantastic title race. Monaco were in there 
for a while as well. And the Spanish one's also been very dramatic. Um, we've had a different winner in Italy. It sort of confounded all the things that we ex- we sort of say about these leagues that, you know, they're quite predictable and the same people always win it. Whereas our own league's been a walkover since Christmas. So it's been it, it's been interesting. And, you know, ne- I think it's next weekend where, you know, Sven Botman will have the chance to, to win that trophy. A vacancy in North London still going, Adam? For who? Pochettino. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you meant for me or someone. No. Um, <laughs> going mad. No, it's still a vacancy in North London. I feel like that's two or three failed managers and managerial experiences for both Poch and Spurs down the line when they come back together with a big group hug and Harry Kane comes back like Gareth Bale as a, an early 30s or late 30s by that point striker and they can all live happily ever after together. Or maybe it's Harry Kane comes to PSG to help Pochettino um, mastermind this success. In the column on Monday, we mentioned how Kieran Trippier is also of interest to PSG. So maybe uh, we've seen Deli Ali as well linked in the past. Maybe the band are going to get back together in Paris rather than London. Right, that's it. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic for £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. Theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman to get that. And I'm back on Thursday with Matt Slater for the business of sport. The Athletic.